There's enough fake news in our world today, amen? There is enough of that. So what I want to do is I want to stick to something that I know is rock solid, something that I can count on, and good news. But there couldn't be any good news unless there was bad news, right? I mean, if there wasn't bad news, the good news wouldn't be good news. It'd just be news. So the good news involves some bad news, but the good news overwhelms the bad news, so we end up with good news if you trust the good news of the gospel. Are you, have you got this so far? Are you with me? Okay. All right. So, um, so it's hard to know what's real these days, isn't it? I mean, it really, we live in a day that we've got so much available and all the internet and all the advertisement. We live in a time of not just fake news, but uh, clickbait headlines, you know, and uh, to get you because know, it's just motivated by self-interest and advertising revenues. You know, they just you know it's like some big story, and people come with all the sensational stuff. And, and you know what? If you just if you just listen to the world, and if you just listen to what's out there in social media and all of that, if you don't do some studying and some thinking and some praying yourself, you're going to be led to all kinds of directions because there's just all kinds of stuff out there, and people want to come up with things just to get people's attention because they want to sell ads and they all that stuff so we live in a crazy mixed up world in a lot of ways it's not much different than timothy's world i mean except for like electricity and automobiles and internet and but you know what i'm saying the the basic core humanity isn't much different today than it was in his day um because timothy as we're going to find out can i set this up a little bit and i'm and this isn't just introduction i'm 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 actually already preaching okay so (laughs) I don't know why I needed it. I just thought you wanted to know. Um, so anyway, uh, so Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's mentoring him. Timothy is pastoring the church in Ephesus, okay? And you've heard of that. In fact, at one point, Paul wrote a whole letter to the churches in Ephesus, and it's called, guess what? Yeah, Ephesians, imagine that. Uh, But that's where Timothy is at this point, and Timothy is ministering there. And I want to tell you that that, city was pagan to the core. By pagan, I mean heathen. And by heathen, I mean crazy. I mean, they worshiped that, that this was a city that one of the main wonders that might have been considered even one of the wonders of the world there, this gigantic, magnificent temple that was right there in Ephesus to the goddess. They actually worshiped a female deity. And, and the, the goddess Artemis, or the Roman name, that's the Greek name, the Roman name was Diana. And this goddess, and all kinds of stuff that you can't even imagine, went on as a part of their culture and as a part of their worship. That in this Roman culture that this was in, that um, um, they worshipped a female deity and involved in the worship that went on around that temple. There was all kinds of crude and lewd things. There was, there was even prostitution that went on as a part of temple worship. So a lot of the men and, and women, uh, their whole thing was, was different than what if you grew up Jewish. Uh, and men, most of the men had wives that they didn't treat well. And they also may have been involved with a temple prostitute. And they may also have a mistress. And that was just, by the Romans, considered normal. Is this sounding a tiny bit, though, familiar to the way people live today? I mean, we may not worship at some pagan temple, but we worship uh, humanity and humanism and doing our own thing and just trying to fulfill whatever desire we have. Um, So it's in that kind of a context that Timothy is pastoring. And Timothy, if you know much about him, can can I keep setting this up? All right? 
Timothy comes from a mixed heritage. That is, we find out, we find out as we first, we first find Timothy in Acts chapter 16. And then we have these two letters written to him, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And we find out that his mother was Jewish. And we find out that his dad was Gentile or Greek. And we find out in 2 Timothy that Paul talks about the faith that's in him that was in his mother, Lois, and his grandmother, Eunice, and now is in him. So we know his grandma and his mother, probably during Paul's first missionary journey, he went through Lystra and Derby. That's where he was from, that they probably got saved. By the time Paul and Silas go back the second time in Acts 16, there's Timothy. So Timothy was a young guy, and he'd already become a disciple, a believer. His mother, his grandmother were Jewish, and they had put their faith in Christ and become Christians and so he had that we never hear anything else about his dad except his dad was Greek uh, probably his dad was very worldly probably his dad lived like most other people probably he was a guy that grew up with an absent dad probably and so he's from a mixed heritage and uh, the church that he pastored was mixed so you have all these Ephesians who hear the gospel and get saved and they come out of this extreme paganism where they worship in this temple and where prostitution is even a part of what they do and they have all kinds of worldliness stuff going on you have those people that get saved out of that and see everything that they had been taught was totally different than if you had been raised Jewish and taught the Old Testament so they had people that had grown up under the Old Testament law and all that rigorous stuff, you know, that had come to faith in Christ and understand that Jesus is, is the one that saves us, not, not the law. They understood that, but they were still struggle with that, okay? And they had grown up totally different. They were taught the things of the Bible and all, you know, they, they learned all that stuff and had a strict life. And now those people are getting saved. But all of a sudden, are you following me? I mean, I don't know, this may be boring to you, but it's exciting to me. All right, come on. Uh, that all of a sudden, all these people are going to the same place to worship, same church. God said there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. You're all equally saved. You're equally part of the body of Christ. So you got people in one church, local church, that some of them come from such a, a pagan background, they don't even know what's right and wrong. And then you got people that grew up in a legalistic background where everything was wrong. And now they're in the same church. Can you see how that could be difficult? But you know what? It's still not a lot different than us today. Because right here in this church, we have people that grew up, and you grew up in a Christian home, and some of us actually grew up where things could be a little legalistic, you know, and, uh, you know, all the rules, and you went to church, and, you know, I had trouble as a kid that, you know, what if you smile or have fun? You better straighten up right now, right? You know? And... Don't do this, don't do that, don't do, you know, and all the don'ts, don't, you know. When I was a kid, I thought, well, okay, if I'm going to be a Christian, I don't need to, you know, it was 70s, so hippies, right? Some of you were hippies in the 70s, all right? Now you can't even grow hair, see? So it was, it was good. <clears throat> you know, hey, wait. But, um, but anyway, so that, um, you, you know, don't, don't have long hair, don't have long sideburns, uh, don't listen to rock and roll, and everything that I wanted is like, preacher was up there, you know, uh, don't wear shorts, don't do, you know, all that stuff, and I was like, I can't do this. But I tell you, and sometimes it was such a way that I, I barely, through all of that, came to know what a relationship with Jesus was like. And I'm glad, because a lot of people grew up just hearing the rules, and they're like, you know what, I can't do that. And they never got to know Jesus, okay? So anyway, um, we have people that grew up that way, <clears throat> and you were taught all this stuff, and you were taught what's right and wrong. You had a family that loved you, and you had a family that cared for you. You saw the biblical family structure. 
You know what the biblical family structure is, don't you? It's set forth in Genesis chapter 2. One man, one woman for life. That's, that was the way God set it up. Okay, maybe you had that and all of this. And all of a sudden you're worshiping sides, people, that there's nowhere in their family that a mom and a dad ever stuck together, that a, a, a mom and a dad ever raised a kid, and that there was neglect and there was abuse, and that we, you know, maybe you grew up and you weren't even taught, maybe your mom didn't even take time to treat, teach you to brush your teeth before you went to bed, and things like that. You didn't have any of that. You weren't taught what was right and wrong. Uh, you were kind of just left to make it the best you could. That's not your fault. You were born into it. But what I'm saying is we have people from both extremes that have come together into this church. I get up here and I preach and say, turn to First Timothy. Some of you can quote a good part of it. Then there's others of you that have to look at the page of contents to find out where this first time you've heard about First Timothy. See, because years in this church, it was just people who had kind of pretty much always knew everything about it. Just like if a church in those days had people been raised all Jewish. But then all of a sudden, you've got Ephesians. You've got people that come from a different background. And now we also have people in our church that came from backgrounds where you, were never, you never even knew. And I, I'm excited because of that, though. I love whenever I'm teaching about um, Abraham or Moses, and I see people so excited because it's the first time they've even heard that story. I love it. Because some of us have heard that all of our life, and we're numb to it. Timothy had all that to deal with here. So this is why Paul writes this letter, is he writes this letter because they need to know. Uh, uh, and In fact, we're going to find out that this letter isn't so much like doctrinal. He's not dealing with like teaching issues. It's more practical about how to behave themselves as a church as they come together. So you can see how there could be problems and issues, right? And we need to, and, and the thing about it is this was recorded for us because we need to know the same things. And, and, and we need to have order. So good news, life in the local church. Life in the local church, and that's what this whole thing's about. And we're going to learn some things that we need to be taught and equipped with as we go through this. So uh, this first message, we're just going to look at some of this first chapter, and we see that uh, Paul is an apostle. So as we look at verse 1, chapter 1, 1 Timothy, look at it with me. So open your Bible, get it out there, get ready to write down a few notes. I'm going to give you some action points here in just a second as we go through this. Paul says, it says Paul. So he starts off his letter. <clears throat> See, we, we usually start letters off by writing their name. In those days, they started off with their own name, the person writing it. Because, you know, I want you to know who this is from. And, and so Paul starts off Paul, and that's the way that they always did it in those days. Paul, he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, First Timothy is one of what, you, you should know this, or you need to know this, is what's called the, you know, the, the letters that Paul and like John and Peter wrote. They're called epistles. You know what the word epistle means? Letter. <laughs> it's just an old word for letter, but we still call it that. So there are three, basically, that were written to pastors uh, that Paul had trained up. And um, actually two different people, but three different letters. There's First and Second Timothy and Titus. And they're called the pastoral epistles. So if you're somewhere and someone says, well, I like to read in the pastoral epistles, you'll say, 
1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. I got this. If you're ever on trivia night and it says, what are the pastoral epistles? You know it now. And you'll be like, I got this one, right? Okay. But it's also one of only a few letters that Paul addressed to individuals rather than to groups of people like Colossians or Ephesians or Romans, right? It's addressed to Timothy. And the only other ones was 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon was addressed to an individual. But it was also inspired of God so we could have it today and that we can study it and that we can learn from it. And uh, so Paul starts off identifying himself and he says, by commandment. Here's what you need to know. Paul says, an apostle. Now, why does Paul have the right to, to, to write? Oh, boy, I didn't know that was going to run together. Why does he have the right, R-I-G-H-T, to write, W-R-I-G-H-T, to Timothy and tell him these things? Isn't our language crazy? You just run into that at the weirdest times. He has the right to write. Oh, you, do you understand? You know, if you're just coming here learning English, you could be like, I give up, I quit, you know? Yeah, yeah. He has the authority. Thank God for synonyms, right? Words are our tools. We just get them all mixed up. He has the authority to write Timothy about this. Yeah, to, to W-R-I-G-H-T, Timothy. He has it to write W-R-I-G-H-T-W-R-I-T-E. W-R-I-T-E. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. W-I-T-E. But it's not even spelled the same, but it sounds the same. Do you see how confusing this is? Man. All right, he has the authority. Thanks for helping me. Stay with me. Stay with me. You know, sometimes I might just actually do something like that in purpose just to see. Just to see, you know. You know, it's kind of like Barney. You know when Barney accidentally fires his gun? Now, I did that just to, to teach you a lesson. All right. So he has the, so let's talk about that authority. His authority, his apostleship to write them, to write him, to send him this instruction, it come directly from God. Did you see that? Paul says, not that I'm going around claiming to be an apostle or somebody just said you can be one, but he said an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God, and specifically God our Savior, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, who is our hope. You see that? I have this authority and his authority. So, so I didn't appoint myself. Peter, James, and John did not pick me and appoint me. Jesus himself appointed me. That there were these guys who were apostles sent out personally by the resurrected Jesus Christ that had a special authority. Why? Because Timothy did not have a New Testament like you and I have. I want to know what the authority and what God wants me to do. I've got it right here. He didn't have that. So everything that was taught has to be traced back to Jesus through the ones that he personally sent out, the apostles. Paul is one of those. That's why it says the church is built on the foundation with Jesus the cornerstone and the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, okay? So he's claiming that authority directly from God. He didn't point himself that. Jesus pointed him and sent him out personally. And so, like I said, Timothy is mentioned here. He says, to Timothy, a true son in the faith. Now, Timothy first comes along, and like I said, in Acts chapter 16, and we find out who he is. I've already told you about that. But he says, a true son in the faith. That's why I call this Timothy the real deal. When he says true son, that word true is a word that literally means genuine, authentic. Okay? Seth would say totally legit. 
Every, you know, to Seth, everything's legit, right? Right? It's legit. And so Paul, if we were in trans, if Seth were translating this, he'd say, Paul would say, to Timothy, a legit son in the faith, right? But you know what? That's what we need. We need people to be the real deal. And Timothy was, and he wanted to encourage Timothy to keep being real, to keep being genuine, to keep being legit. I tell you what, that's what folks need to see. They need to see some legit Christians, Don't you think they need to see some legit Christians because there's enough phoniness out there, right? And I know none of us are perfect, but we need to be the real deal. People long to see the real thing, and they don't get to see it that much, I'm afraid. Paul continues his greeting. He says, grace and mercy and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. You know what? That was kind of a favorite greeting of his. You find him saying that a lot. But it's not just words like, hello, how do you do? Blah, 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 right? It's, 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 it means something. Grace and mercy are like the two things we need most of. He always uses that in his greetings. Grace and mercy to you. Because the grace of God is God's riches at Christ's expense. And you think about the cross where he paid for our sin on the cross. And mercy, that's where God does not give us what we do deserve. We deserve God's wrath and God's punishment. And mercy says God doesn't give us that. But instead he gives us his riches through Christ. Grace and mercy to you. And when you have grace and mercy, guess what else you're going to have? Peace! That inner tranquility of heart that you can't get anywhere else. There's no, there's no drug. There's no anything. There's no lake you can sit on in a boat catching fish and be as at peace as what Jesus could give you in your heart. I know that illustration maybe doesn't work for everybody, but I'm the one preaching here, okay? All right? You know, and I can spell things however I want to, too, right? So, anyway, we got it, we got it, we got it. Um, so the peace that comes through Jesus Christ. Now, he gives him some instructions. So I'm just going to boil this down to five points. Don't be scared because they're going to come at you in rapid succession. It's like I got a five shooter right here. Bam, 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 bam. Bam. Okay, right? Yeah, okay. So here's the thing. So I, I just want to pull some action out of this. So because this is a pretty deep chapter. We're, we're going to come back and look at part of it, maybe, Lord willing, next week. But there's some things he tells him that I think I can take it, right, and apply it to me and to like our whole church. And the first thing he says, what's the first thing he says for him to do when we get to the next verse? He says, I urged you when I w- went to the Macedonia to do something. What was that? Stay in, stay in Ephesus. Remain there. Stay there. So first thing that he tells us to do, and I didn't know that orange was going to turn out to be so dark up there. Can you see that? Stay at the task. Can you see it, Sharon? It's just kind of like, it says stay at the task. Stay at the task. You never know about how graphics are going to work. Stay at the task. Remind me to change that next week so I don't use the same color, okay? Remind me, like Thursday, remind me to to do that. All right, stay at the task. Remain in Ephesus because he wanted to encourage Timothy. I know it's going to be tough there. There's going to be difficult times. Don't give up. You know what? It seems like that happens a lot, that there's a lot of times that where you're at and where you're trying to serve God, the circumstances get tough. It could be in your own home. Don't say amen. Just sit there. Oh, okay. That's all right. It could be your circumstances you're having to deal with at work. 
It could be. And there may be times, listen, there are times that God moves people and he uses a little pressure and a little friction to, to get your attention to that it's time to move. But I think too often people drop out of relationships. People sometimes quit jobs. People sometimes quit churches just because circumstances get to where they don't like them. Pastors are the worst. Things get a little tough and, man, you know, the grass looks greener somewhere else. Right? And you know what? The old saying is true that usually it's not any greener. It's not even edible. Or if it is green, it's because it's over the septic tank. And if it is greener, imagine how bad their water bill must be. Right? So there are times that God wants to move us, but there are a lot of times what we need to do is to stay at the task. It's easy to want to escape when things get complicated, but here's what he's telling Timothy. Be faithful. I remember early on the first, which wasn't here, right? So I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about those people, those other people, you know, where I pastored like a lifetime ago. I was 20, 21, 22 years old, and I was pastoring uh, in Oklahoma City. And um, things were just like going great. And all of a sudden, we're under some bumps in the road. And I just felt like a failure. I just wanted to quit. I wanted to quit a lot of times. Uh, I remember calling my father-in-law, Brother Glenn. And I just like, man, I just want to quit. I'm just, I'm a failure. I'm no good. And you know, I'll never forget what he told me. He said, there's only one yardstick that you can use to measure success in the ministry or in your Christian life in your Christian life, too. I said, what's that? He says, it's the yardstick of faithfulness. Are you being faithful to God and to your relationship with him and to what he's called you to do there? So no matter what other people are doing or not doing, are you being faithful? So I'm going to apply that to our homes, our jobs, our church, everything. Are you being, quit griping about what everybody else is doing and not doing and how much hassle they're causing you and what they've done wrong and how they've offended you and how things aren't working right and you're not getting the results and the things that you wanted to see. Are you being faithful to God in your walk with him? Stay at the task. The next thing he says, stick with the truth because he goes right from there to... He says, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. So there were those who were already teaching stuff that wasn't square with the truth. So that is the foundational part. It's the doctrine. Doctrine means teaching, by the way. Did you know that? The word doctrine literally means teaching. That, that, that there were some that were already departing from that. Teaching has to be solid. Listen, if the teaching isn't solidly, biblically based, accurately understood, accurately interpreted, accurately applied, then nothing else matters. It doesn't matter what kind of things are going on if this is off track. But people today often get sidetracked with teachings that are off track, don't they? Really do, and it's easy because it can be just a little bit. Now, a lot of what Paul's talking about here seems to be Jewish in nature, that there were some Jewish teachers that, you know, they'd grown up around all of this. And uh, so Paul's left Timothy in charge here at this church, and some of these guys are, are, are teaching things that, that are not right. And it says it has to do with fables, and the word in verse 4 literally means, it's the Greek word myths. 
and endless genealogies. You know in the Old Testament how these genealogies and how God separated those people, and there is something to that, and God used that, but they got, somehow or another, they were taking something that was in the scriptures and making it into something that was out of bounds. Have you ever seen people do that? Can we do that? Yeah. You can take something that's in the scripture and you just take it out of where God meant for it to be. And you try to make something out of it that it's really not supposed to be. That's kind of what these guys were doing. And a lot of it involved the law because he's going to come back to Old Testament law and stuff like that. These were people who had been raised Jewish and they were getting out of track with the gospel here a little bit. And so he says that they teach no other doctrine, no other teaching. What other? Well, obviously, anything different than what Paul had taught him. Because remember, at that time, Timothy doesn't have a New Testament. Everything that's taught has to trace back to Paul, to Jesus. So basically, Paul's saying anything that's different than what I gave you from Jesus when I was there, you need to deal with it. You need to stop it. You need to tell them that they need to shut it down. And, and, and so he says, I, I, uh, I charge you. And that word charge is authoritative. Means to, it means to give orders. He's to order them to stop. So false teaching was anything different than what he had been teaching. And people a lot of times today get off track. And you're not going to know the truth if you're not in the truth and if you're not studying it. And just because I say something doesn't mean you need to believe it because I'm not the Apostle Paul. You need to get in the Word of God. And you don't need to just take one verse from here and there. You need to look at the whole scope of Scripture because everything, as you see, as we go through First Timothy, everything has to be interpreted according to the language it was written in and also according to the culture. You've got to look at the time and the place when it was written because a lot of it won't make sense if you try to interpret it like it was written today in our culture. It was written uh, in probably, we think, that Paul, the book of Acts leaves Paul in prison. Did you know that? You get to the end of the book of Acts, Paul's kind of in in under house arrest, and it kind of leaves him there. But Paul was, Paul was optimistic that he would be set free, because they didn't really have good charges against him, if you've read that, right? And, and most scholars believe that's what happened, that he did get set free, and during that time he wrote uh, 1 Timothy, and uh, possibly Titus and a few other things. And then later on, under Nero, persecution increased and that Paul was arrested again. And that time, he knew his death was certain. He was going to be executed. And it was under that that he wrote Second Timothy because in Second Timothy, he seems pretty certain that his days are about done, right? When he wrote Philippians, he was in prison. And it was kind of like, I don't know whether I'm going to live or die. I think I'm going to live. I'm not sure, though. If I die, it's gain. If I live, it's more profitable for you, right? Remember that? So he was hopeful. So it was probably during that amount of time that this happened. And um, so it's, it's somewhere around A.D. 60, uh, probably, or early 60s A.D. when he wrote this. So anyway, that, um, that Paul is, is pressing Timothy that you're going to keep you know, the teaching, and you're going to teach what I've taught you. And so we've, we understand that the background, we understand the culture of it, we understand the city and the place where Paul, or as Timothy, is ministering in Ephesus and what's going on around there. And when you understand those things, you'll understand what Paul was saying to him better. So you interpret it first according to its context. And also, you also anything you interpret it, you interpret it with the whole of the Bible in mind. And then you begin to get the understanding of how it applies to us today. And it does. All right. So can I just tell you how important that is? Because if you don't take seriously what I just said, you will not stick with the truth. Somebody comes along with something flashy and it draws you away. That was already happening in Paul's time. All right. So that we need to stay at the task. You can say it. I don't care. Stick with the truth. And then the next thing is that we need to focus on the purpose. Focus on the purpose. Verse 5, he says, now, speaking about this false teaching, 
They've gotten out of bounds. They've lost the purpose. He says, the purpose of the commandment is what? Love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. So here's what he's telling them to do that they, 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 they've gotten off track. The purpose or the goal of the commandment is love. Let's boil it down to something simple. Are you ready? Are you ready? Keep the main thing the main thing. That's something we need to do in our lives and in our church. Keep the main thing the main thing. The goal was love out of a pure heart. That's just what he says there. Did you know that Jesus summed up the entire law this way? Did you know that? What these guys were doing was producing all kinds of arguments and divisions. It wasn't producing love of Jesus. Jesus said this in Matthew 22. He says, somebody came to him and said, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Do you know the Ten Commandments are broken down into like the first part of them are like the first four and then the last six. The first four have to do with our relationship with God. The last six have to do with our relationship with one another. Right? Honor your parents. Don't steal. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't bear false witness, coveting what other people have, all that stuff, right? So the first has to do, if you, if you do this, you're not going to break any of those first four commandments if you love God with everything within you. And then he says, this is a first and great commandment. And then he says, the second is like it. In, verse, in the next verse, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I've got some work to do on that, right? Don't you? Do you really love your neighbor as much as you love good old number one you? Huh? right? So Jesus said, on, if you keep that, you won't break any of the last six commandments. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Here's Jesus took all the Old Testament and boiled it down to two things. Love God with everything within you and love your neighbors yourself. The goal of the commandment is love. It doesn't matter how spiritual or how gifted or how high mighty you think you are. If you're not loving God and you're not loving other people, something wrong. That's what Paul's saying. That's just my interpretation there, okay? He's saying something wrong uh, because the goal is love from a pure heart. It come, did you notice that? It comes, look at the verse. It comes out of a pure heart, clean conscience, and genuine faith. The false teachers weren't doing this. They desired to be teachers, which means they wanted the positions of authority. They wanted to be in the limelight, but they weren't teaching the right. It was all wrong motives. They didn't have this. And a lot of people want to be teachers because somehow they think it's a position of authority or something. Do you know that James warned us about that? It's very serious. And that's why I take my job very seriously. Listen to what James says in James chapter 3, verse 1. James says, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Did you know that? Because I'm not only accountable for what I do and what I believe, I'm accountable for how I teach you. And if I cause you to get off track by not teaching it right, I am going to have to answer to God for that. Now, I hope that you would call me out and I'd have to answer to you first so I could get it straight and I could answer great and have a great answer for God, right? But here's the thing. It doesn't matter. People who are, who are deceiving people, people who are off track, people who are taking advantage of people, they're going to have to answer to God. That's what James is telling us right there. So we've got to focus on the purpose. And, 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 and see, the false teachers did not have pure hearts, did they? It says love out of a pure heart. Are you looking at that? Love out of a pure heart. And when you don't have a pure heart, it results in the conscience not being clear which results in a hypocritical faith that does not produce the love of God. But he says it's love from a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. We need the real deal. I mean, I've heard some people teach and preach, and it didn't result in any love at all. They've gotten off track, and Paul says their teaching and their preaching is just like idle talk. It's just blah, 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 yada, yada, blah. That's all it is, right? 
they're just championing their own cause. They're on their own, riding their own hobby horse. They're standing on their own soapbox. They're trying to make themselves feel important, right? That's what they're doing. And, and here's what he says in verse 7. He says, they're desiring to be teachers of the law. So we know that the Old Testament law is involved. Under, they, they understand neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. They don't even know what they're talking about. I mean, they were dogmatic about their ignorance. It's bad enough to be ignorant, but it's really bad when you're dogmatic about your ignorance and proud of it. We need to be especially certain that what we teach, what we preach, don't go off onto tangents like that. We need to focus on the purpose. We can get sidetracked with a lot of things, so we've got to, we've got to stay at the task. We've got to stick with the truth. And when we're staying at the task and sticking with the truth, we're going to focus on the purpose. Is the love of God being... being Shared here and overflowing, huh? Okay, so got to move on. Every one of these max could be a sermon in itself, amen? Probably should have been, but anyway, here we go, all right? Number, did I say five? Number four. Everybody said, whoo, Jesus, thank you. Number four. Understand the standard. Need to focus on the purpose and understand the standard because now he's going to talk about that standard of the scripture and of the law in the Old Testament. Are you with me? Get your thinking cap on. This isn't just fluffy entertainment. This is Bible teaching. We got to think a little bit here. Okay? All right? Verse 8. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Paul doesn't want us to think that the law these guys were twisting and using, you know, in bad ways. He doesn't want us to think that the law itself was bad or evil. The law is good if you use it and apply it correctly. The law can't save you. The word good there could be translated useful. The law is useful. And I want to tell you that, that when you understand how the law was given, see, these teachers had twisted it, but you need to understand the law is good. It's useful when it's used in the right way. What was the purpose of the law? Read on, verse 9. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane. That sounds like people who are breaking those first four commandments, doesn't it? Then we got the next six. Are you ready? It says, for murderers of fathers and mur- murderers of mothers. That and not only includes thou shalt not kill, but also uh, honor your parents, right? And then it says, for manslayers. That's those who kill. For fornicators, thou shalt commit adultery. By the, word, by the way, uh, Jesus broadened that to even include our thoughts, didn't he? Didn't he? But the word there that's translated sexually immoral or fornicator is actually the Greek word pornea. I think it's anything that involves getting out of the bounds with the boundaries that God set. Pornography, I think, falls in that because it poisons mind and kills love and steals, it just it steals people's spirit, their soul. You know, um, so anyway, all of these things uh, he, he begins to mention that are problems that we all have. We, we were un, we were sinners. All of us were right. We were we were um, lawless. We were unholy, profane. Uh, he says fornicators or pornea. He says sodomites. Literally, one 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 scholar said that word could be translated men in the marriage bed. Okay, so we find out that a lot of this was going on then, a lot of this is now, and we want to just do what we want and live how we want, but we find that God's the creator and designer. God designed things to work a certain way, and, and, and he set this up with marriage and with all of these things, and God's saying, not, I'm trying to keep some kind of neat fun from you. He says, I'm putting these around because I made this, and I know when you take things out of bounds from the way I created it, it's going to hurt you. Just like I used to tell my kids, do not play 
with your toys on the hot stove. They might think, how dare him try to keep me from that freedom? I should be able to do, play with my little plastic toys wherever I want to play with my little plastic toys, right? Which, by the way, do you remember when G.I. Joe was like this tall? And then now he's like this tall? Shows you something right there. Anyway, sorry, got off track again. But, 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 but what, what I'm trying to do is not keep something fun from them. I'm trying to keep them from burning their hands and melting their toys, right? The same way with God. He created it. He designed it. I pause like that just so y'all don't look at me. Because he knows how it works. I got to get back behind here again because I got to look at my notes. Christ is the standard, all right? The law wasn't given to make us righteous, but the law does something else. The law shows us that we're sinners. That's what he's saying. Let me get through this quickly as I can. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Paul says, I'm going to back this up and document it with more scripture, okay? So that you know I'm not just, you know. So let's see what else the Bible says about it. Paul said in Galatians 2, 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. So just by trying to be a law keeper, just trying to do that, you know, you should. This is God's standard. You need to understand the standard. But the fact is, is that you've already broken it. You need Jesus. And that's why he says that the works of the law, no one is justified. But how? But by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Probably some of these teachers were trying to hold some things over the people and saying, you know, this is, these are hoops you have to jump through in order to be saved. And Paul says that's not true. Romans chapter 3 verse 19 would be another verse to jot down. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. He says that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. What? The law makes us all guilty. So guilty and we're going to stand before God someday. We're not going to be like our kids when they got in trouble. But, 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 but he, but she, but that. Every mouth will be stopped. There won't be anything you're going to be able to say. No excuse. All the world become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, just by your own works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. What's the purpose of the law then? For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the law helped me to see that I already do not fulfill God's perfect standard. I've already blown it, right? I'm a sinner, okay? So the law, since it shows our sin, he goes on to tell us in Galatians 3.22, the scripture has confined all. Does all mean just some of us or everybody? Everybody. All of us are under sin. Every single one of us are sinners. Some people have done some terrible, horrible things, and some people have, you know, kept their nose clean as far as society is concerned, but the Bible says we're all equally sinners. We're all equally lost. We may have different baggage to deal with because of our sin, but the fact that we are sinners means we're all equally lost. And he says we're all confined under sin. Why? That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. That you have the opportunity to believe because Jesus took your sin and he died for your sin on the cross. It's that simple. Are you willing to trust Jesus or do you think that you could do it yourself? That's what he's asking. You can't do it yourself. Then he says, therefore, here's the purpose of the law. The law was like our tutor that helped teach us something. It was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. And realizing that works, just law keeping is never going to do it. We have to trust Jesus. But when we trust Jesus, we want to please Jesus, right? So the law shows our sin. It's a necessary part of the gospel. What I tell you is good news. The bad news is the law comes along and says, you're, lit, you're a sinner, you're lost. 
Because if it wasn't bad news, you couldn't get good news. Listen to me. Listen to me. This is one reason why the gospel is so glorious. Any gospel that ignores the law and sin is not the gospel. I can't come up here and just tell you you're okay. Because the Bible says we're not okay. We're sinners. And we have to take ownership of that sin and repent of that sin. And we have to put our faith in the price that Jesus paid on the cross where he took our sin and he paid and he covered it. Remember last week, God forgave the debt. God forgave our sin. He canceled the debt, which means he paid for it himself on the cross. He's the only one that could. So how can I identify people that aren't focusing on the purpose? How can I identify people who aren't aren't teaching the truth? I'm going to ask some questions. I'm going to say, are they properly handling, handling and interpreting the word of God? Also, what are their goals? Is it love out of a pure heart? Do they seek to honor and glorify God or themselves? Are you with me? These are questions you need to ask. Are they pursuing their own agenda, own, own agenda or their own wealth and fame? Are they humble and selfless or do they seek to control others? Finally, do their hearers clearly understand the gospel of Jesus? Are they using the law properly and defining the gospel accurately? Those are questions you need to ask because the gospel has power to do what the law couldn't do. Do you know what it is? The gospel is the glorious gospel of Christ, verse 11, that has been committed to his trust. The glorious gospel has a power to do something the law can, and that is to cleanse us from sin and transform our lives. The law can't do that. And then Paul launches into his own testimony in verses 12 through 17. And we're going to come back to that. Paul even talks about, look at me. He even calls himself, he says, I was like the chief of all sinners. And God saved me, huh? Isn't that awesome? So he goes right, we're going to come back to that. Tonight, come on back at 6 because we're having like a testimony workshop. We're going to all talk about how we can do like Paul did and give our testimony and, and, and so forth. So come back. So last thing. Fight the good fight. Stay at the task, stick with the truth, focus on the purpose, love out of pure heart, understand the standard, the purpose of the law is to bring us to Jesus, and then fight the good fight. Because I want to tell you something, this is war. There are a lot of preachers up there just say, all you have to do is just, you know, put your faith in Jesus and trust Jesus, and you'll just, you know, life will just be like a tippy-toe through the the, the tulips or uh, walk in the park, right? You hear that a lot. You hear that a lot. If you're having problems, if you've got some kind of suffering or thing, that something must be wrong because God just wants you to be healthy, wealthy, happy, and never have a problem. The problem is, is the New Testament doesn't teach that. It does teach that God is going to bless us and heal us and, and even in the midst of the storm give us peace and give us victory and give us joy. Right? Uh-huh. It just sounds better when you make it two syllables, doesn't it? Joy. In the midst of trouble, I thought joy was when everything goes my way. Then you're not going to have much of it because things are rarely going to go your way. And I don't always understand why God does things the way he does. Do you? But during the midst of that. So Paul, time and time again, compares our Christian life to a warfare. There is war going on because Satan is afraid of what God can do through your life. Now, he may have been battling you before you got saved, but if you get saved and you're not, it's like the old preacher said, if you're not meeting the devil head on, it just means one thing. You go in the same direction he is. Right? That's true. So you need to expect it. Because he, he may not be able to keep you from believing and being saved, but he's afraid of what God's going to do through your life to touch other people. So you've got the battle going on outside. You've got the world around us. 
And certainly Timothy had that with the culture. They're offended by us because we're not doing... Some of you like, wait, you know, the people that you used to do, tell dirty jokes to, the people you used to do drugs with, the people you used to get drunk with, things like that. All of a sudden that you've gotten straightened up and clean, they all of a sudden don't like you and, and, and want to push you around and they want to pull you down, don't they? So you've got that. You've got the world, you've got the devil on the outside. But guess what? We've also got a battle on the inside, don't we? Paul talked about in Galatians 5 and in Romans 7, that fleshly nature that we still have, we're redeemed, but as long as we're in this body of flesh, we still have that sinful nature in there that keeps pulling us the wrong way. The fact is, is there's times that I actually struggle with wanting to be super selfish and greedy and lustful. But I don't have to be because now I've got the power of Christ in me to overcome that if I submit my will to his will. So there's a battle going on and said, Timothy, you need to, he says, I charge you like a, he's like a, a, a sergeant or like a colonel or like a general charging. I charge you. I, I'm giving you a, a charge. I want to, uh, I'm going to commit this to you. I'm going to, I'm going to entrust this to you that according to the prophecies previously made about you, that even when you were set aside and ordained, that the word went out, that you were called, that you were going to live for God and you're going to serve God. You're going to be used as a pastor. And God revealed that in your life and said, according to that, I want you to, I want you to stay in there and it's a battle, fight the good fight. He says, wage a good warfare. Fight the good fight. And he mentions a couple of people that, uh, that didn't. Uh, it says, and it says, which some have rejected concerning the faith and have suffered shipwreck and of Hymenaeus and Alexander, of whom I delivered to Satan, that they learned not to blaspheme. Wow! There were these two guys. Now, we know uh, Hymenaeus is also mentioned over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 17, that he's mentioned, along with a guy named Philetus, that had strayed concerning the faith. They were saying the resurrection was already past. So we know a little bit about that guy and what he was doing. He was teaching false teaching about the resurrection. It overthrew the faith of some. Paul said he's going to have to. He says, I'm, well, I'm turning, what does that mean, deliver him over to Satan? He doesn't really explain that. I kind of like, you know, part of it is, is they, had to, they had to kick him out of the fellowship of the church because he wouldn't, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't get right. So, and it's kind of like me also, I think about sometimes that the Lord turns us over and the devil, he doesn't want to, he's going to treat you rough, man, right? He's going to treat you rough. It's like, you want, you want, okay, you, you know what? You're going to get a whole lot of whatever you're asking for right here because the devil's going to, he's going to, he's going to do a number on you. It's kind of like the time dad caught me sneaking around and getting little bitty twigs when I was like five years old of his red man chewing tobacco, getting a little bit of that, getting a little bit of that. Well, guess what my dad did one day? He turned me over to the red man. Chewing tobacco, that is. Got to be careful here, don't we? Anyway, um, uh, do they still sell that? I guess so. Get you a whole bunch of it, son. Pack that jaw full. Come on, a little more, a little more. Totally gave myself over to it. Next thing I know, the world turned colors and was spinning around very rapidly. And everything that I'd eaten for the past year came up. I don't know. You don't want to be delivered over to Satan so you learn how to not blaspheme and speak against God. Teach false teaching. So here it is. Here it is. Let's boil it in here. Boil it down. Let's, let's take it home, all right? Stay at the task. Feel like giving up? Don't give up. So this is his introduction to Timothy. Stay at the task. Stick with the truth. You need to be careful about what you're teaching. And you need to be careful that you're staying and working hard because Satan is here to deceive you. He wants to get you off track. You need to work hard to stay with the truth. You need to focus on the purpose. Don't get off on some crazy tangent that's not what we're really supposed to be about, right? Number four, understand the standard. That we know God's standard and how he wants us to live, but we know that we haven't got the strength to do that. We have to trust Jesus 
completely, 100%, and rely upon his power to become what he wants us to become. And number five, fight the good fight because this is a war. There's no place for sissies in the kingdom of God. Now, are you ready to toughen up? Are you ready to be the real deal like Timothy so that God can say, welcome my legit son or daughter. Well done.